Earful of Leadership is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host, and the content of this podcast is not meant to provide any legal or medical advice. Welcome to the Earful of Leadership podcast. We're so glad you're here. We are joined today with Chevy from the Military Mentors. We're so excited to be talking with you today about teaching, coaching, and mentoring here on the Earful of Leadership podcast. And I just want to know if you can introduce yourself to our guests, tell us about your journey and where you are today. Yeah, uh, thank you for uh, having me. Thanks to both of you. Thanks for the listeners to uh, for listening as well. Um, about me. So... Um, I usually start these with, you know, any introduction of myself with uh, not myself, uh, because those people around me make me who I am. So I'm a father. I have two little ones. One is 11. Her name is London. She was born on the 4th of July. And there's a story behind that. Um, She helped name our surprise baby. I have an almost two year old named Lola. Um, So she was born on Thanksgiving. So uh, apparently, I only have a baby once a decade, and it's got to be on a national holiday. So she's <laughs> about to be two here in a couple and uh, in, in the near future. Um, I am I graciously have both of them through my wife, Ashley. We've been together 22 years since high school, married for 14, um, and she has done a great many things for me as we've been apart and, you know, on this army j- uh, journey. Uh, but one of the things she does is she's a personal trainer. So like I, I might not, y'all won't see me, y'all just hear me, but I don't necessarily look like I'm in my forties and it's uh, truly because of her also because she didn't, <laughs> she didn't stress me out. We have a good relationship. Um, I get the opportunity to be in the army, uh, have been for about 17 and a half years now, a dozen of those in the special operations community. Um, they taught me Arabic. So I spent uh, a number of, um, months and weeks and everything uh, in the Middle East and in Africa as well. Um, and the final two things I maybe say about myself are um, I'm a PhD student right now, PhD candidate, I should say, at mm-hmm. Tufts University, where I study human development, specifically the development of character. And the last thing uh, Nicole already alluded to a couple of years ago, started this uh, program called uh, Military Mentors. Um, and it's a nonprofit and we focus on, uh, elevating, educating and facilitating mentoring for the military and beyond. And we can kind of break down those, those points and maybe, you know, why we started it and why we do what we do. Uh, hopefully that's enough about me. (laughs) That was great. Thank you for sharing. Um, I just really respect all the experience that you have and that you're giving us your time here. And um, since I am an emissary in the military (laughs) mentors, and that's what inspired and sparked this project, I would love to hear more about uh, the mission and let our listeners get an insight into what's going on. Yeah. So I I did say the mission statement, those are the, you know, those kind of terms I used a little, a little while ago. So I, I would like to break down each of them, if that would make sense for people to understand, like, you know, you hear about missions of organizations. A lot of times people don't, you don't get a chance to hear like why or why they chose those words or what are they doing? So let's talk about those components. So um, for military mentors, we focus first on elevating uh, mentoring. So elevating is about uh, 
really, truly getting people to see the importance of mentoring, the importance of what it means to develop another person, to develop the next generation. So we want to elevate its presence within an organization. The second piece there was about educating. So the educating piece is uh, is as important um, because a lot of times when you come across mentoring relationships and mentorship, uh, you hear a lot about the art, right? Like mm-hmm. people just want to tell war stories. Um, people just kind of, you know, let me tell you where I've been and how I did it and walk you along a path. Yeah, that stuff is all well and good, but we like to use uh, research-backed, empirically focused education around mentoring. So this is about mm-hmm. not just mentoring, but mentoring with a purpose and mentoring mm-hmm. with um, the knowledge that already exists. There's 40, 50 years of work uh, in, uh, in the mentoring space worth of research around how you mentor people and how it works. So the science behind it works. Um, if you were uh, uh, going to be a chemist, right, you don't just mix elements up like, yeah, these, let me tell you how I mix these elements up in a lab and how I come up with this thing. You would actually break <laughs> it down to the science, right? That you would break down the different elements and the pieces. And if you were doing stoichiometry, like there's a stoichiometry, uh, sticky, stoichiometric method, right? That you would adhere to. So that's what we're doing about educating, like getting uh, the nerdiness in there that uh, for why it works. Then the last one is about facilitating, and facilitating is about us as an organization potentially coming into another organization and helping them facilitate mentor connections, right? Between mm-hmm. you know mentors and mentees, but also facilitating programs. Right. Mm-hmm. You can do a couple of different things to bring uh, mentoring into an organization. And one of them is creating a mentor program, for example. So we like to help people facilitate programmatic structure around the art and science as they elevate mentoring to the fore in their organization. The last mm-hmm. piece of our mission was about, you know, for the military and beyond. So obviously being an active duty service member, having emissaries like yourself as an active duty service member, we do want to focus on the military first. We have that particular Mm -hmm. affinity, but we say and beyond because we want to work with organizations that have veterans in their, uh, in their, um, in their, in their people, in their Mm -hmm. organization. We want to help them facilitate connections amongst those uh, folks, leverage their experiences. And we also want to come into organizations, maybe bring, Um, something uh, to bear for them that they might not have. So there's specific experiences many military folks have with the crucibles of combat or high stress, high impact, high intensity leadership. We want to transfer those skills over to organizations that aren't a military organization. We have a Fortune 500 client right now that we're doing that for. So uh, yeah, that breaks down our, uh, our mission. That's amazing. I love that. And I feel so privileged and honored to be a part of the organization and doing the emissary program. I've learned so much already and uh, I'm looking forward to getting in a position where I can bring the military mentor services in and get some help with mentorship. I, I really love that you're focusing on expanding that beyond the military. And just in my limited experience with with the military and even the role that I'm getting into, I feel like it's unique in the military that you are thrown into a leadership position. You come into the job and that's it. You're a leader of of everyone below you because there's such that hierarchy of the structure. 
And I think that's unique to the military. I've worked in corporate business and it wasn't like I was thrown into a leadership position. Maybe I led some meetings and had my own responsibilities, but I wasn't necessarily in charge of other people. Mm-hmm. And now I'm jumping to a position where I'm going to be in charge of other people and run a mm-hmm. whole program for a whole peninsula. And mm-hmm. I feel like the skills that we learn in the military and being thrown it, just dive in and you have to learn and develop is unique. And so taking that into the civilian world where maybe other organizations can see, okay, we can trust other people and give them a leadership opportunity and throw them in and let them learn and develop. And uh, I think that you learn a lot individually when you're put in that position. So I love that it's expanded. We need it in the military, but also we have a lot to teach from our military experience to the civilian and corporate worlds. That would be a huge benefit. Sure. I completely agree. Like the, the military doesn't corner the market on leadership. It's just the way we do leadership is is very unique, and you've alluded to it. The day you graduate from a program, become commissioned, however that process may be, you're now in charge of people. And right. In the context of the last two decades, that might mean being in charge of people in a far off, dangerous place, right? So that's that's something you. Know, I mean, you walk into corporate America, you're. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to pick on a, a specific job, but many times you're not walking into, you know, what you're the threat of, of the only threat on the table is maybe you losing your job or, or not mm-hmm. filling out some form a certain way or not, you know, living up to your potential in a lot in a lot of positions. Right. And if you are char- in charge of, like you said, in charge of a meeting, if the meeting doesn't go well, it's just stressful. Right. Some of these leadership positions in the army, if it doesn't go well, let's just be frank, people die. Someone right. can lose their life, their limb, their eyesight, and, and of, of course, their livelihood if you don't know how to lead or are struggling with leadership from day one. So I think um, the the lessons that are learned in the military with regard to leadership can be very impactful on the other side, when you uh, think about leveraging your experiences or an organization, a corporate civilian organization thinks about leveraging those skills that military folks learned. Of course, it's not a panacea, right? Like we're not going to come in and fix all your leadership woes. (laughs) Leadership is very dynamic, but um, we try to help as much as possible. And, you know, I'm still, you know, almost 18 years in the army. I'm still figuring it out every day because it's it's ever morphing. That's right. It's definitely dynamic. You must be so busy. And uh, <laughs> thank you for doing everything with the military mentors and getting your PhD at uh, Tufts University. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, human development and the development of character, what you're learning there, what you're focusing on with your research? Sure. How much time you get? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I, you know, get this wonderful opportunity. It feels for our, for our civilian listeners, it feels like I'm taking a sabbatical because um, I don't have to wear a uniform every day. And I get the well, when uh, when I could go to campus, uh, you know, I was going to campus every day and everything. But mm-hmm. um, thanks, so COVID. Th- th- yeah, thanks, COVID. Um, but it's, it's, it's been good. You know, I, I chose a program that was a, a, a hybrid kind of program between uh, educational space and a psychology space. I had a, a long background in psychology. Um, so chose this program, came here to Tufts to study human development. You know, the, the, the program itself looks at human development, cradle to grave, right? 
the entire human pipeline. But mm-hmm. I decided to focus on post-adolescence on forward. So I'm more interested in, you know, um, adult development, if you will. But then within that realm, so adult development and human development consists of a lot of, and we were developing every day. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the the understanding how to get people to develop better or these kind of um, ideographic pathways. So an individual pathway over time is something I became very interested in. Part of that was, hey, how do we get character? Like, how does a person develop character? And I, I think it's important to illuminate a story about why I, I study specifically character. I grew up in a neighborhood in the 80s that was uh, stereotypical for um, the black community. It was uh, drug laden, still is. Mm-hmm. Um, it was heavily policed, still is. Um, my house has, my, and my mom still lives in it, five locks on the front door, three locks on the back door. She puts a little bar under the uh, door to brace it because we had our door kicked in growing up. She has bars on the windows all around the house. That's how we grew up. I saw Mm -hmm. my first dead body now on the streets of Baghdad. I saw in my yard from a shootout when I was very young, single digit age. Um, So I grew up in the context of that neighborhood. Now, growing up in in that context... We did not, re- I, I just be frank, we did not respect authority. I did not trust police. So you mm-hmm. didn't snitch, right? You didn't talk about people. When you could, like, we could recognize undercover cops, you you know, just mm-hmm. for the cops that are listening, if you're undercover, like, we can recognize you in the hood, okay? <laughs> um, but it was like, hey, you don't trust those, those folks, those outsiders. Right. Then I grow up. I have wonderful experiences that give me the opportunity to go to a place like West Point. And one of the first things I learned is the honor code. A cat will not lie, cheat, or steal, nor tolerate those who do. The tolerance wow. piece is very important, right? Now you got to be a snitch, right? I grew up in a context where you don't tell on people. And then here I am in the context of, hey, you do actually tell on people. So when I was young, we prodded ourselves. A piece of our character was not snitching was being right. loyal to your, you know, your friends and stuff in the neighborhood, regardless of what they were doing. Now I'm in a context at West Point that's saying, well, yeah, you're still loyal to the people. The, the, the higher loyalty is to the organization and to these principles, however, so you better tell them. So I was like, how? In the, and, I, and obviously I, I, I glommed onto that and I believe in that today, right? But I was like, how can an organization come in and stamp these new principles on a person like myself or use, you know, writ large, if you think about the military, give a person a whole new set of principles, change their character. I became really, you know, interested in how that can happen, how that process happens, but both at the individual level and at the organizational level. So I started studying uh, character development here. And lo and behold, I get the chance because of a certain project called uh, Project Arte, Arte's Greek for excellence that I actually study West Point cadets. So I have this idea around, um, you know, how character happens and it's through a couple of different components is uh, competition, it's cooperation, it's crucible events or developmental experiences. Um, and so it's in a peer relations context that character can't develop in this way where you can get rid of your old principles and stamp on a whole new set. And the military is real good at that.
That's so interesting. So you're researching the West Point cadets and the things that they're experiencing as they go through and maybe Mm -hmm. those events or situations that are influencing a change in their character. Because like you, they came, you know, we all come from different backgrounds and that was not a part of who you naturally were. So what needs to happen in someone's life to fundamentally change their character, the way they think, the way they behave, the way they engage with others. So, Yeah, I get the wonderful opportunity to do some me search, right? All research has a little bit of me search in it, right? So I'm trying to figure out how this happened to me, but also in the aggregate, how this is happening for so many other people. And I should say that one of the things I learned is, um, so there's something called relational developmental systems. Uh, RDS meta theory would say that the individual can't be stricken from the context. The context can't be stricken from the individual. So it's, it's, you know, you're put in these different contexts and, and you are interacting with the context, you are interacting with the environment and the environment is also interacting with you. Mm-hmm. So as much as there's, there's naysayers out there that say, well, you know, you go to church growing up, you're in the Boy Scouts slash Girl Scouts, you have all these values kind of put on you by your family uh, and that's what you have, right? You go to corporate America, you go out to, co- you know, that stuff, you kind of dabble and experiment, but that's who you are at your core. Well, you know, everything I've been studying is saying not necessarily, right? Not necessarily, because, again, you bring stuff to the to the fore, to the table, your individual, the individual within the context. But so much of the context around you helps shape and mold you as much as you shape and mold your environment. So it's been, man, it's been so illuminating you know, I'm tired of writing and tired of stuff <laughs> just because, you, you know, it's such a process. Um, but I will tell you that uh, if I could, you know, my, my dream would be to just uh, sit around and like pontificate on these things <laughs> because it's so interesting and we're all so different, right? So many contexts are different. So many individuals are different. And we haven't even talked about genetics or anything else you bring to the table. Right. Oh, so and we won't right. do that. We won't do that. That's a whole nother <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have you back for that one. Um, but speaking about like the influence of that other people have in that in that change in character and the development, uh, what we really want to talk to you about today is the difference between teaching, coaching and mentoring. Yeah. So can you give us an intro into that and the differences, how they intertwine together and yeah. kind of educate our listeners on what that's like? So I. Uh, you know, I think it's important to parse these things out because at least in the military, you hear them as a verbal triplet all the time. You hear them all together. That person needs to be teach, coach, mentored. Like it's all smashed together as one one word. And that's unfair to do so. Like people need, you know, just like I talked about, individual within the context, they need specific uh, something specific given to them at a specific time in a specific cons, uh, context uh, for specific outcomes. That's a stealing born scene specificity principle, by the way. That's some, some more science. I'm a nerd. Um, but it's important to parse these things out. So a teacher, we've all had experience with teachers, right? We all grew up in a K-12 system, and we all know what a teacher is. A teacher usually is just this kind of one-way set of uh, knowledge going one one stream, one direction. Yeah, they ask you questions. Yeah, you do homework. But really, they're a subject matter expert. Like, none of us know algebra 
or chemistry before we walk into those classrooms, right? So it's it's very one-way stream. And we expect that person to have subject matter expertise in that topic and pass it along to the student. Coaching, we've all experienced if we played a sport. Coaching is a little different. They don't necessarily have to have subject matter expertise, but it helps if they do. What they really need to have expertise in is a coaching methodology. So they need to know how to find your left and right limits and kind of usher you down a lane, a direction. Um, it, it's really good to see like coaches when they're, um, you know, uh, a guy uh, coaching a softball team that used to play baseball, right? Baseball and softball are similar, but not the same sport, right? But if he was good at baseball and has a good coaching methodology, he can probably uh, be a good softball coach because he just needs, again, a coaching methodology to pull the best out of a person. So see a person where they are, get them to their next place. I would say that's what coaching is. Mentorship is, to me, the furthest the utmost experience you can have with uh, developing a person. Mentorship is longer, deeper, broader, more reciprocal specifically, right? It's a, there's gotta be a a going and a back and a forth, right? A teacher, you got a classroom full of people, a coach, you got a team full of folks, right? Uh Mentor, usually one-to-one, right? A dyad a very specific reciprocal relationship happening where both people are growing, but it's still um, asymmetric, right? The mentee or the protege should learn a little bit more than the mentor. Um, (laughs) But this is this, you know, very directed long-term relationship um, aimed at leader development. So that development can be in a lot of different ways. Again, if you're in the classroom and it's an algebra classroom or math classroom, you're specifically learning algebra. Y'all ain't in there talking about any other subject, right? If you're a coach on a team, again, going back to baseball and softball, if you're on a softball team, y'all not out there learning anything from football or about soccer. You're learning about that one thing. Mentor relationship, again, is about all career, psychosocial. Those are two functions, but within those uh, functions of mentoring, uh, that's Kathy Cram, again, more science, more nerd stuff. (laughs) Um, within those two functions, you can talk about our, we can talk about life. We can talk about raising kids. We can talk about your career aspirations for the future. We can talk about what you're doing in your career now. We can talk about changing careers. Uh, we can talk about a lot of different things. So that last relationship, the mentor relationship is so more robust than the other two. And I also think that the best mentors can do the other two. Mm-hmm. You're wearing all three hats, right? Teachers in the classroom, not really coaching your own stuff might might grow into a mentoring relationship might not right coaching relationship they may teach you a specific skill for hey you need to backpedal this way on the football field uh, but they're not teaching a whole lot of other concepts and maybe it'll grow into a mentor relationship a mentor must teach right here's what you need protege right now i know you mm-hmm. need it i'm giving it to you hey must coach. Hey, I, I think you're, I think I hear what you're saying and, and you want to do these things. Well, let's talk through that a little bit further and maybe how we can massage what you want to do now to what you want to do later. 
must mentor, must get to know the other person. Hey, let's talk about this uh, deep, dark piece of my past, deep, dark piece of your past, so we can grow together. And maybe that's something that's holding you back, because guess what? It held me back, too. So let's get all in there and uh, be reciprocal and, and grow together. So that's how I would break down those three. I really like that um, that breakdown of it. I definitely have experience where I had a coach um, for sure. Mm-hmm. When I first started my ROTC program and started um, that journey into becoming an army officer, uh, my mentor that is my mentor now mm-hmm. uh, started out in that, in that coach role, focused on PT, raising my PT. And that that's all we talked about. That's all we focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, and slowly that relationship um, developed into a mentorship relationship where he was giving me career advice and still here for me today, always reaching out, checking on me. And I think that um, establishing that base, that base where you just have that relationship, it can definitely develop into something, something um, bigger, which was mentorship in the end. So it's very, it's very important to have that mentorship. And another thing I wanted to add earlier from my perspective, um, I think that you really do see a lot of development coming into a program um, for Army. Um, I definitely am not the same person I was uh, mm-hmm. when I started my journey and, uh, compared to where I'm at now. And sure. um, being um, later years in the ROTC program and getting those freshmen that I can coach and mentor, I've seen so much growth and I'm still seeing growth from those people that I met when their freshman year starting out in ROTC program, not knowing what was going on to them learning all these uh, key principles to live your life by like determination and time Mm -hmm. management and things Mm -hmm. like that. And I think it's so inspiring to see people grow, whether they end up commissioning into the army or not, they still Mm -hmm. leave with those, um, those attributes that they learned through the program, giving them structure and I think that's the biggest thing that the army does is it teaches people structure and um, it definitely benefits them in the end, whether they end up in the military or not. I, so I totally agree with you on um, this whole idea of being able to see someone grow and see where they end up going. Right. It's mentoring to me is like a, like a garden. And I've used this as a metaphor many other times um, of you know, it's, you don't, even though you know the seed, right? Like you, if you're a gardener and you go buy some seeds, you know, you have, hey, we're in the fall, you know, you have pumpkin seeds, right? So you're going to plant pumpkins, but you don't know, you, you know, the water, you can even know the climate, you can get certain soil, you can know all those elements, but what you don't know is you don't know what those pumpkins are going to look like specifically when they come out of the ground, right? Like you got an idea, you know, they're going to be orange. They're going to be round. They're going to be in the gourd family, right? So they're going to be maybe not being bumpy, you know, and they're going to not like grow up on a tree or a vine. They're going to be right there on the ground. You know that, but you don't know exactly what they're going to look like, right? And they're all going to be different. No two pumpkins come out of the ground looking exactly like just like snowflakes, right? But you do know that you get pumpkins and you do know that the more you till the soil, the more you water the ground, the more you put in the nutrients, the more you let certain bugs stay in and keep certain bugs out. You know 
that you can grow a, a maybe a better pumpkin, maybe a bigger pumpkin, maybe a prize winning pumpkin. And sometimes <laughs> just because all the sunlight and everything else you can't account for, maybe you get surprised. And that one that looked really little when it first popped out of the ground, you're like, oh, man, that pumpkin ain't going to be nothing. It ends up being something so ginormous if you win the state fair for the biggest, you know, orange gourd in the state. But, you know, I'm being kind of jokingly about it, but that's truly what I think is the surprise and the reward of mentoring. You can do all you can and you know what you can do. There's a process. There's a science to gardening. There's a science to mentoring. And you pour and you pour and you pour yourself, your time in, and you get something really great out of it later on. And then, you know, maybe you make some pumpkin pie and all kind of other stuff out of it too, right? <laughs> other things can happen as well. It just doesn't have to be the pumpkin. So super reward of, you know, watching people change over time. It's the, it's the ultimate investment, time. Time is the ultimate investment, not money. Spoiler alert, it's not money, it's time <laughs> invested in other people. Absolutely. Um, so how do you think someone can grow that teaching or coaching relationship into, or into that mentor relationship? So this is an interesting question. Um, I think it's, it's twofold. The first piece, very simply, is the, is the mentee or the protege the potential mentee or protege has to want that relationship <laughs> clean and simple. Like if they don't want to be mentored by another person, they shouldn't be uh, put into that position where they have to be. Right? right. So that's the first piece, real simple. The mentee or the, the, the protege has to want that relationship to grow in that direction. The other piece also uh, a little bit more complicated, but just as simple has to want to uh, do the mentoring. Uh, but if they want to take it to, you know, that's 1A or uh, the, the, one, the 1B part of it, if you really want to grow it. So you, you want to do it. The mentee or protege wants to do it. And you're in a teaching coaching relationship now. How do you take the next steps? Well, the, the first piece is probably actually doing some self-awareness and knowing where you both are and doing some preparation to the relationship. So, hey, how are we going to grow this? Notice I'm saying we at this point. How are we going to grow this relationship? What do we want to accomplish through this relationship? Establish some baselines. Then that second piece is about doing some negotiation. So that first piece is actually like talking about the relationship. The second piece therein is maybe talking about actual like, when are we going to meet? How often are we going to meet? Like those specific negotiating principles. Um, what are we going to talk about? What are we not going to talk about? Here are these red lines, those kind of things. So that's kind of a second piece there. The third piece is actually like, all right, let's get to the work of like actually doing the mentoring. Like, mm -hmm. Let's actually meet. Let's actually bring some, some outside experiences again next to, in addition to the war stories. Let's bring in some reading. Let's bring in some thoughts. Let's bring in some some outside resources to the relationship so we can grow. And I think um, that's how you, you get it there. Um, by the way, I just went through like three of the four phases of mentoring from um, the Center for Mentoring Excellence. So again, I'm, I'm harping on the science. This isn't just 
Chevy's opinion. This is what exists out there. Um, I didn't go over the fourth because it's how you um, will close down the relationship, how to transition into another one, another type of relationship. But a piece therein as well, another science-y kind of thing is, so if you want to grow it, understand it, it's probably going to start in a career kind of field. It's going to, Kathy Cram would say that most of these relationships, when they start to become a mentor relationship, start with the, the mentoring facet or function, she would say, of mentoring. So you're just talking about how to get people along their career. Then it will maybe uh, adjust or shift to the psychosocial function. So that's like, you know, making people understand who they are, um, helping people um, get gain affirmation as, hey, am I doing the right thing? Kind of those socio-emotional components. Um, so yeah, I dropped a, a ton of science and stuff there, but trust me, it, it it all works. That's how that's how you grow the relationship is you use these components um, and then you take those next steps. But it's it's got to be structured. It's got to be some structure to it. Right. So do you have any advice for those people who are seeking a mentor? Yeah, um, <laughs> there's a I laugh because people are like, should I ask? Do I ask people like, how do you ask, sir, (laughs) ma'am, will you be my mentor? It's so robotic. Right. Um, And there's kind of, (laughs) I laugh because there's a lot of people that say you can't ask, like you can't ask, you know, it just kind of happens. But I'm not in that boat. And it's also not what the science bears out. Right. There's no, the research doesn't say ask or don't ask. Right. There's no, um, there's no uh, true research around which one is more beneficial. Um, if you want to be a mentor, if you want to be mentored, it all starts with, I, I really do think I said it last time, st- knowing who you are and knowing what you want. And then seeking out relationships that help facilitate you becoming that new person. So if you're a mentee wanting to be somebody's protege, I would say, look first around you. Don't write Angela Duckworth an email and say, will you be my mentor? You're famous. I want to be just like you. I mean, they, that you know, she probably has a lot on her plate. And I'm, la- I'm joking a little bit because I-, I get the privilege to uh, have a, a nascent relationship with Angela Duckworth. And I do know she's busy. Um, and but I also know she's willing and ready to help people. She cares about people truly. Um, but you don't just email some random person. I don't think you you for the military folks. You don't email the CG like, "Hey, sir, you're awesome. I would like for you to be my mentor." Start looking real <laughs> close. There might be someone real close to you in your life. The you know in the military, there might be a company commander. There might be the logistician, the S4 or the S1, the adjutant of your battalion. That's actually pretty awesome. Y'all already have a good working rapport. You all are working out together maybe or something like that. And they are actually mm-hmm. giving you some really good advice and they're going places. So they want to be connected to you. So start locally, start close and see where you can find that there. I would say, don't forget, even if you're in the military, don't forget those relationships uh, near you that are in your community. Because there's a lot of community leaders out there that can give you something. There's some neighbors of yours. You know, if you do some volunteering and stuff in the in the local uh, 
if you're in the team RWB, team red, white, and blue locally, maybe there's an awesome old veteran that comes out and works out with you that you can connect with. So start close, um, but be be very specific about what you want and what you want to do with your time when you actually do the ask. If you're a mentor and you're looking to maybe start a, you know, hey, I don't, well, I want to be a mentor. I don't have any protégés. What do I do? The same things apply. What do you, why? Why do you want to be a mentor? Why do you want to develop people's self-awareness? Look close as well, right? Because a protege or a mentee might be right under your nose and you haven't really invested. You've always been a teacher for them. You've always mm-hmm. been a coach for them, but you haven't tried, attempted to uh, really develop them in this very specific methodological methodological way. And you haven't... Um, taking the time to really define, well, how do I want to engage in this relationship? So I would also say, you know, start close and then, um, you know, branch out from there, looking, looking for people um, that uh, might need or could use your uh, mentoring. The last thing I have to say, because I I knew you all want to focus on this. I heard it in your intro episode about diversity and inclusion and equity. Okay. If you Mm -hmm. listen, for the listeners out there, if I was in a classroom in front of you, because I have taught, I'll be stomping the floor or wrapping the uh, the blackboard with my ruler right now, because this is very <laughs> this is going to be on the test. OK, if you have to look for people who don't look like you, OK, go out there and find people who are not like you and develop them. That is how we're going to close so many gaps in our nation if we would just take the time to bridge uh, bridge differences between people, right? To steal an idea from uh, Lisa Fain, who's on our board of advisors. She has a beautiful book, a beautiful book called Bridging Differences for Better Mentoring. If we could, right? It's an awesome book. And she's an awesome person that focuses on diversity and inclusion. Really, if we took the time to look for people who didn't look like us and wanted to mentor those folks and make them a better version of them, not make them a more close version to you. Okay, cloning was bad in the Star Wars. Cloning (laughs) is bad in this arena, too. Okay. Um, Yes. Looking for people of difference. It would make such a difference if we could be very good about. I am a black man. If I could look for uh, more white women. I could, we could make a difference together, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which is why I proactively do that. Thank you so much for adding that. I feel like that's really important for us to talk about in this space and as we mm-hmm. want to progress as a society and a community. You've given us so much knowledge and I already wrote a bunch of notes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to add to um, Sarah and I have talked a lot about our experiences with mentorship. And I know that Sarah has had the opportunity and is in favor of that relationship developing organically. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's wonderful that you've met people that have been so influential in your life and you were able to develop that. Since mm-hmm. I was in kind of a transient status, leaving Walter Reed, getting ready to go to South Korea, um, I had the opportunity to hear some lectures from someone who I'd met before in the field. And I asked 
And I was that little robotic, like, hi, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Will you be my mentor kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I shared like what I really admired about her and her experience mm-hmm. and what I feel like I you know, put in that self-awareness in the beginning. This is mm-hmm. what I feel like I need to develop. This is why I'm interested in having a relationship with you. Will you be my mentor kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And it went great. I love it. We're going to yeah. have her on the podcast Um but I just think, it, you know, we have to be mindful of what's going to work best for us yes. and the situations that we're in. And if it develops organically, wonderful. Mm-hmm. If not, if that's something that you want and you know that you have some things that you want to develop, don't be afraid to ask, Absolutely. you know, or just start spending time with them and say like, hey, you know, I'd love to get to know you more. Can we go get coffee and then see how it goes from there? It doesn't have to be this huge pressure of, oh, I'm going to ask them right now or it's going to be awkward. Like, let it kind of develop up and ask when you're ready, but you have to put yourself out there. It's kind of hard and vulnerable, but you have to, you know, try to make that connection. I, so I agree with you, right? Like, you know, the, the organic, just kind of, it just happening, um, in my own life, the mentor relationships I have, like we never like formally signed a document or, or anything like that. It just kind of just came about and there was never a question. It just was like, oh yeah, that person's my mentor. And that person was like, oh yeah, that's, they're my mentee. Right. And then we kind of went along a structured path after that. Um, but I think the goal here for, for the, the, the reader, the listeners, sorry, not the readers, the listeners <laughs> is making a very important point. She knew what she wanted. Self-awareness. She knew where she wanted to go. Right. Self-awareness. Um, and she had ideas around, Hey, this is why I want to be connected to this person. And wanted to present all that to the person so the person can make an informed decision about wanting to do this relationship, which creates the opportunity for it to be organic, right? Mm -hmm. Because then they know, okay, I know where this person is. I know where this protege is. I know where Nicole is in her developmental timeline, and I can walk it forward. I actually heard a podcast from Lisa. We keep bringing Lisa Fain up. I heard her (laughs) describing... Um, how she was very, like, she was very specific about an ask. Like, she was looking for mentorship in a certain lane at this phase of her life. It was like, Mm -hmm. this is what I specifically need, so I need to proactively search for that. That's a specific ask, and I think there's nothing wrong with it. I think some people get wrapped around the axle of the stress of uh, wanting to be connected to a person that... Mm -hmm. um, it feels kind of awkward maybe to send them an email or, or something, but I think you broke it down pretty um, beautifully by saying, Hey, just, I mean, you meet other people, right? Like you make friends and stuff, don't you just do it that same way. You know, nothing wrong with going to Starbucks or uh, something else just to say like, Hey, I just, you seem to be amazing. Uh, Don't want to, you know, blow a bunch of smoke at you, but, you know, <laughs> I would love to uh, see where this relationship can go because I feel like I can learn from you. And, you know, it just shows a person, you know, the other person's very appreciative of you being cognizant of their time and their skills and what they bring to the table, um, mm-hmm. which is which is beautiful. So our target listeners are millennials and Gen Z and mm-hmm. those, you know, 20 to 30s that are getting into the workforce, having positions of leadership. What do you think has changed in the landscape of connections and communication with mentors and mentees with these generations? So specifically, I think the research would bear out that um, they, because um, I'm like just on the edge, 
So I think I'm still in the X. I'm still a Gen Xer. Um, the 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 younger generations, the research would bear out that they want time. They want they want a um, an exponential investment of their time into their community, and they want it reciprocated back right to them. They don't necessarily need compensation as much. They're not these uh, you know major you know, extrinsically motivated types where if you give them a, you know, a six figure salary, they're going to be super happy, right? They want to know that they can make an impact or make a dent within the universe and that that investment was worthy enough that it'll be returned to them um, in a kind of, not a quid pro quo, but in a, hey, I put this amount in, karma kind of comes back to me and, and, and takes care of me. So, I think that is what has changed. And and what's most interesting about that is, you know, mentoring really happens across generations, not really within generations, unless it's kind of peer to peer or just a much more closer kind of age relationship. You know, most of us are in different generations as we mentor uh, the, you know, the next uh, set of youth. And I think uh, an important piece there is really understanding where, millennials and Gen Z are coming from as opposed to trying to fix them. Mentoring isn't about fixing. It's about collaboration. It's about reciprocity. It's about development. It's about a learning environment. That's not about fixing anything. This isn't about like, you know, changing the transmission on a car. Um, This is about taking the car you got and uh, continually working on it to make it go a little bit further, make it a little bit faster, to make it a little bit more efficient paint it, make it, make it a little more pretty, get some of the dents out. That's what this is about here. Um, so I think it's just, you know, that's, that's what's changed. Um, a little bit is that, you know, uh, the, the younger generations just, they want to know that they make an dent in the universe and, you know, mentors can help by helping them see their niche, by helping them see their worth, mm-hmm. um, to, you know, really understanding them and not just giving them, Hey, this is what's ma- been successful for me. Uh, try to understand what can be successful for them. I didn't have one more question. I just had a follow up that I wanted to ask on that. And, um, sure. you know, I didn't research this, but now it just the question came to my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like in our generation, because we have so much um, access to social networking and these yeah. different platforms and influencers and stuff like that. And I feel like more and more people are wanting to find their niche, like mm-hmm. you had mentioned, and what they're good at and their kind of space. And I know like with my parents' generation, they were much more happy, like, oh, yeah, I found this company that I like and I'm just going to stay here with this mm-hmm. company and work my way up. You know, and I'm curious if the research backs that and, you know, being so much more individualistic in what people want to develop and who they want to be and finding their own path. Um, I feel like so many in our generation want to pave their own path. And do you, does the research support that difference from generations to generation now being more individualistic, I guess? So I'm, I'm actually going to uh, broaden it out. So the I want to take a concept that you talked about and like make it a little bit more meta so we can, you know, this this might be a little bit philosophical, but I I want people to really walk this dog with me. So, so we are, we live in a Western based society. Okay. We are always individualistic, whereas Eastern societies are collectivist. Uh, A stark contrast would be 
growing up, you're going to go to Korea, you're going to be on the peninsula in Korea or Japan or China. They're all uh, much more collectivist. They gain value. They gain self-worth. They gain their niche by being a part of the collective. Western society, if you're in Europe or uh, here in the States, um, you we've always been individualistic. It's so funny to me. I'm only 40, okay? I'm only an octa... What is that? An octogenarian? A quadrinarian? Quadrinarian? <laughs> I'm only 40. I haven't but- made it there yet, so I don't know. <laughs> I, I hear people say, well, oh, man, millennials and stuff are so, so about themselves. No, all- Americans are so about themselves, okay? Like, we're, we're a- we are a Western society that's always um, uh, been very, very keen on individual progress, right? our individual rights in the Bill of Rights. Well, our country has always been founded on this kind of individualism. So to, to, to draw a bigger picture to your question is, um, we haven't grown more individualistic over time. I think we've always been individualistic. We just, now we're so hyper-connected, it just looks a certain way, right? The reason we had railroad magnates and people like the Henry Fords who created you know, the, the ability to, you know, drive cars and make these multi-million dollar companies was because they were individually moving along a pathway because they were individually focused on their own prosperity and wealth as much as they were pouring, you know, the railroads and the cars and these other systems into our society. That all came off an of individual expertise, individual business acumen individual progress we just see it in a different light now because it you know we look at instagram and someone is seeking you know a million followers well henry mm-hmm. ford henry ford was seeking a million followers too he wanted you to buy his model t he said famously you can have a model t in any color you want as long as it's black what's more individualistic <laughs> than that <laughs> right and i know i'm kind of like Maybe that's a little philosophical way to look at it, but it's, I think it's the truth. Like we've always kind of been this way. And I think if, if we were to step back a little bit and really look at, you know, just in the American context, look at what our nation was founded on, we'll see we've always been pretty individualistic. It's just more hyper-focused now because we can, we can see it in a different lens. You've given us such great information and (laughs) everything is so insightful and I feel like I can't take notes fast enough. So I thank you for that. Um, I do want to close with this question. Um, So what advice do you have for new millennial and Gen Z leaders? Um, That's a great question. What advice do I have for new leaders coming up? So if you are a new leader coming up, Um, let's start with a new leader in general, and then we'll come back to the specifics of being a new leader in the military, because I think those are um, some important distinctions, but they Mm -hmm. are also obviously overlapping. If you're a new leader coming up in society today, I think number one, we've we've beat up self-awareness enough, so I'm not going to keep harping (laughs) on that, but that is very important. Um, Number one, Recognize the space you're in. Recognize the context you are in. Okay. Our society um, needs leaders who can do a couple different things. 
you need to be able to recognize difference. If you can't understand diversity, build on it with inclusion, and then seek equity where you're leading, I think you're behind, not the power curve, you're behind history, okay? Mm. Difference, you're behind history. History is going to sweep you into the dustbin if you can't understand those concepts. The second piece there is recognize that we need to have some character in this uh, in, in this environment, okay? Regardless of where you work, what kind of leader you are. I know I study character, so I'm biased, but I think it's the truth. If more leaders, young, old, but we'll focus on the youthful leaders, really knew what their value set was and did not err from it, we'd be in a much better place. Now, mm. whose values are we talking about, right? You know, we, there's like, oh, th- these people value these things. These other people over here value these things. I'm not talking about differences between Republican and and uh, Democrat or anything else kind of over-politicized. I'm talking about just knowing normal values that we all can ascribe to, right? Doing unto others as you would have done unto yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Understanding what it means to be honorable, what it means to follow ethics, what it means to be purpose built and 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 focusing on a on a on a path. All those are like simple values that we could all agree to. That I mean, regardless of what your your political ilk is, hey, if you don't bend from, hey, I'm not going to lie, cheat, or steal or tolerate those who do. That might be a good thing to kind of adhere to at all times. So I give you those two things for leading in the broader context, right? Um. Okay. For military people specifically, all those things apply, all right? So everything I just said applies again if you're a youthful leader. In addition, if you're in the military, recognize the power of your position, okay? You lead from day one. There's no such thing as, well, I got to figure this thing out. Figuring it out was before your commissioning source, or if you're if you're in a, a non-commissioned officer and a, a young leader in the non-commissioned officer corps, you got a chance to figure out how to be a follower and how to figure out maybe how to be a leader when you were a junior enlisted member. The time mm-hmm. for leadership is now once you step into the role. All right. So knowing the power of that and knowing the power of the impact on others is very important. A piece of that power and the impact is knowing life, limb eyesight can be on the line, whether you're in a training uh, place. Uh, Sarah, you're down at Fort Hood. Uh, there was a vehicle rollover a couple of years ago, right? And and this was in a training scenario and soldiers, to include a cadet from West Point, died, right? That happened. That can happen. It can happen. Uh, a month before I showed up when I was a brand new lieutenant, man, they were harping on stuff on Fort Bragg because we had a vehicle rollover going out to a uh, coming back from an airborne operation and a bunch of soldiers got crushed. So it can happen in training. Life limb eyesight can happen in training. It's important. It's important. So notice that, notice your power and your position, how important it is to be a leader. But then also notice like that, that power is not just for development's sake and not because, you know, you command a bunch of equipment and things like that. The power is also in knowing that you can really have a detrimental effect on someone that can maim them or kill them 
Um, and I hard to, hate to be kind of morbid, but that onus, that responsibility should make us as mil- junior military leaders, young people, millennials, Gen Z, really understand the dent we can have in the universe if we do the obverse. You know, we don't have to be pessimistic and look at, man, I might kill somebody today if this range don't go right. Look on the opposite end. Man, I can really invest in these people because I can put them in positions where they can thrive in these hard or difficult environments. I can give my all to these folks because of the power of my position and really, really change them. You know, we all can't wear the uniform forever. So mm-hmm. one of the things I used to have as kind of a cliche as a leader was I would say, and this speaks to the power to you young uh, Gen Z and millennial leaders. I used to t- say all the time that I-, I was more focused on building the person rather than the soldier, right? If you build the person, if I just make you a better, if I, Sarah, if I make you a better Sarah, Nicole, if I make you a better Nicole, you're, you all are going to be good in the medical field. You all are going to be good captains, majors, lieutenant colonels. That'll come, right, with every other experience. I just want to make you a better person. That's powerful to really focus on the human developmental aspect here and knowing that you can really make a difference in people's lives if you just focus on making them better people. The leadership stuff, the uniform stuff, that stuff will come along. So that would be the additional thing is recognize the power of your leadership I give to young uh, military members. I think that's a great perspective. I definitely hit on um, this topic the other day um, at work saying that I I don't only want to be interested in my soldiers work and career. You also want to be invested in their, um, in their, in their family life. Um, Cause there's so much more to just army um, or mm-hmm. there's so much more to them than just coming to work every day doing their tasks and going home. They have a whole life outside of that. They have aspirations out in and outside of the army. So knowing, um, just being well-rounded about knowing your soldiers and not just specific things. I think it's extremely important in their development and yours. So I, I I agree. I I have kids. I started the podcast, introducing myself with my family Mm -hmm. and being a father, right? We do it at home. I do it at home, right? Like I'm, I'm so invested in who they are as a person and where they're going. I'm less concerned about like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like I, you know, that stuff will come. I'm just trying to make them a better little person. I wonder why, right? I wonder why we don't do that as leaders in other realms. Mm -hmm. The way I lead my family is very similar to the way I lead a military organization, to the way I lead the nonprofits in the nonprofit space. Because I'm, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm trying to be an authentic, you know, consistent leader across all realms. I don't want to like put on my father hat, put on my husband hat the next moment, put on my officer hat. No, no. Those are all the same. I just don't wear hats. <laughs> I'm the same person <laughs> at all times. And I really wish people, really wish people wouldn't really look, man, if we can invest in our friends, if we can invest in our family, like our sisters and brothers and Man, if we can invest in our pets the way we do, right? Some of us have pets and don't have kids. But if if we can do all that investment the same way we would do, like when we go to work in our cubicles, in our spaces, 
again, we'd be in a better place. I, I just think we, we, a lot of us, especially, and I'm a pick on you people in the military to think the military is just a career. We, we just kind of look at it as, oh, this is just something I do at work, man. Those are humans next to you. At the end of the day, you know, whether we, whether we're flying a jet, piloting a ship, pulling the, the lanyard on a cannon, right. To send ordnance downrange, we're sitting in a turret of a tank and shooting these huge uh, sabo rounds at something. Every single person pulling the lanyard, squeezing the trigger, piloting the you know steering the the boat or ha- you know holding the stick in an aircraft. Those are all human hands. Those are all human hearts. Those are all human minds making the decision. So we are our greatest resources are people, right? That's our true weapon system uh, in the military mm-hmm. is the soldier in the uniform, the, the airman, uh, the Marine, the Coast Guardsman, et cetera. Sorry, I didn't mention your Navy, beat Navy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's just a little joke. You know, I got much love for the uh, Naval Service members as well. <laughs> I uh, wanted to add a few things. What sure. you're talking about, like wearing the different hats, communicatively, in you know my education, we call that code switching. Yeah, like the way I talk to my friends may be different than the way I talk to my patients, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so we code switch how we engage with people, mm-hmm. sometimes based on like the setting or what they need. Um, but I think there's value in being authentically who you are. And naturally, you know, I would use more professional language in a professional setting, you know, maybe not use as much slang that those little things are not as big of a deal, but, um, getting back on self-awareness. I know we've talked about a lot. It's so important. I did an exercise, uh, in counseling. I, uh, you know, hopefully I don't get in trouble with this with the army. But when mm-hmm. I found out that I was joining the army, I decided to go to counseling to just make sure, you know, I was prepared. I know myself well. I know mm-hmm. what I want. I have good coping strategies, you know, to kind of go through that without being in a crisis and yeah. just have that piece to work on myself. And one of the exercises we did was assessing values and what's most important to us, who I think I am, the kind of person I want to be. What are those like pillars and foundations that make me who I am that I want to live by? Mm -hmm. And then moving forward, just sticking to those values, because I feel like we feel so off balance when we're not living our authentic selves, when we're trying to align with somebody else's values and expectations of who we should be. So I'm jumping back to a couple points that you made previously about that, about being who we are and knowing our values as a leader and continuing that consistency in all areas of our lives. And then I think perhaps we would be more satisfied. Oh yes. Oh yeah. I mean, everything, there's a great book out there by Mark Irwin and Ray Kethledge. I always harp on this book and Mike Irwin, full disclosure is a good friend of mine taught in the behavioral sciences leadership department next to me at West Point. Um, and is the founder of an organization I'm a part of, Team Red, White, and Blue. I mentioned it earlier today. Uh, mm-hmm. They have a book called Lead Yourself First, right? Mm-hmm. It starts there. If you can't lead yourself, you can't lead anyone else. I don't care how much you think you're a leader. Okay, Margaret Rio said this organizational psychology. I think this quote is from the, from the 70s. If you aren't followed, you thusly aren't a leader, Okay. So you have to know who you are to even be followed. You have to know, man, there's so much power in, uh, there's so much importance in knowing who you are. I, I'm, I, I completely applaud you 
for going to seek professional help before you take on this responsibility of leading others, right? How many of us need to be humbled by truly looking in an HD mirror, right? <laughs> right? We need to look, all of us just kind of look in a regular mirror and it just kind of reflects what they see. But think, man, think if we had a mirror that could reflect like microscopically what you look like, not just at the surface level, but inside as well. An HD mirror is what I would call a high definition. We can really <laughs> know who we are. You you did that going through that process is so, so important. You got to know how to, man, if you can't lead yourself, if you can't figure out who you are, the nasty pieces, your biases, mm-hmm. how they creep out, um, the triggers, the triggers <laughs> your, um, your, your true weaknesses, uh-huh. um, and not just your strengths. Um, we, man, we'd be in such a better place. And man, I, I, for everyone that's listening, um, we could all use counseling. I've, I've seek, sought professional yes. counseling uh, through my career, through my adulthood. We, we could all use the ear of another person who's trained, has specific me- methodologies for helping us see things that are in our blind spots. It's truly a powerful and engaging experience. And, you know, luckily I also got married to a person who's uh, not afraid to tell me about myself. So I get uh, plenty of that daily and I got kids, too. They reflect, you know, um, one of them, you know, is young enough that she don't really talk. Right. So we got to she just mimics what I do. That tells me a lot about myself. I got to watch. Talking about leading by example. Got to watch my mannerisms and what I do in front of them. So get a mirror, get an HD mirror. And and if you can't uh, get one that's really good for your bathroom, Go get one of these professional counselors that can really be a mirror for you. Mm-hmm. I um, I just wanted to say that we're all ears for the leadership science and methodology. Sorry. You know, just as you're talking, audiology is on my brain. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned life, limb, and eyesight. And uh-huh. I would add life, limb, eyesight, and hearing. That's right. Because that vehicle rolls over, the IED goes off, you know, your eardrums could go with it. I agree. Let's keep that in mind, too, that that's a very important sense that can um, disconnect people from feeling engaged and having a sense of community and being with their relationships if they can't hear. Well, there's so much research backing that and social isolation. So I would encourage new leaders, you know, it's a sense that we don't really think about. It's an invisible injury. So be mindful of that. If you have any questions about hearing protection or how to protect your soldiers, please feel free to email us and Mm -hmm. I will help you. Um, but keep that in mind too, just protecting the soldier with their life and all of their different senses so that they can continue to be with their loved ones as they are. I read an interesting article. I'm glad you brought that up. I read an interesting article that earlier this year about um, how Corona has affected us, specifically people with uh, hearing issues, mm-hmm. right? Because we're wearing masks, right? That is, is things are less audible. We can't hear people. And if, if you have a mask, plus something like an accent, then it becomes mm-hmm. that much harder for someone to hear. Um, mm-hmm. Man, I can't make out what they're saying. Uh, we were getting our flu shots yesterday, uh, London and I, and the person behind the counter had an accent and had uh, like a really robust mask on, plus a face shield. Mm-hmm. And it was, and they were behind a piece of plexiglass. 
and wow. I didn't realize until they that moment. Yeah, they were super protected because we're getting flu shots, right? But we could not make out what she was saying. It just was really, really difficult. And I thought in those moments, like for people, somebody looked me up on the internet. I'm only Chaveso Cook for the listeners. I have really big ears. I've been told I can hear pretty well. Um, I could not, we could, we were struggling to communicate with each other. So I'm glad, Nicole, you bring that up because even if it's not, you know, this, just think about what we're going through right now, day to day, masks and all these layers of protection. Um, if you are a person that is hard of hearing or has lost sense of hearing in one ear or both, or has been deaf, like it, it just, man, it's, it's um, exasperated. It's a exponentially more difficult um, now. So man, mm-hmm. that's yeah. The day-to-day people are now understanding what it's like for someone with a hearing loss, but specifically like a mild high frequency hearing loss. You know, a lot of people don't consider that significant, but that's what the masks are doing. And there's some research on it and like the amount of decibel or loudness reduction in certain frequencies based on the mask that you use and using an N95 mask reduces those high frequencies, which is where you get the clarity of speech. Like, did they say cat or did they say cast like mm. those high frequency sounds like the t the s all of that um it's reduced by about 15 decibels or so in those high frequency areas so you know i understand people are frustrated and they're like well, they have a mask and i can't hear them or you know the classic you know you can't hear someone else so you pull down your own mask because you're like wait i can't hear you like that, <laughs> that funny thing that i see all the time uh, but i think it gives us insight into what our hearing loss patients go through and they go through it all the time every day and it's exacerbated now with the masks and COVID and stuff, but um, just keep that in mind and spark a little empathy of, you know, the frustration that you're feeling now, mm-hmm. those patients feel all the time. And that's why visual cues are so important. And we should just speak to people. We don't have to yell at them, just speak clearly, face them. And that would help a lot for those patients. I would agree. This is, I, at the end of the day, this is about um, leading, right? Leading through conversation, leading a person to where they might need to be led. You know, if, if we're just simply communicating and someone's asking for directions, you're leading them. Right. Mm-hmm. And being a better, you know, being a focused leader on what's happening right in front of you. Right. Understanding these differences, it could be a difference in abilities with regard to hearing or seeing or whatever it may be. It may be a difference of an opinion, right. Across the political spectrum. We could be much better leaders if we just listened and connected. Um, all of us can't be blessed with big ears <laughs> like I am. Um, but hopefully, you know, m- my heart's big enough to back that up. And I aspire every day to be um, a more mindful leader. And I'm always uh, listening for growth. Um, so hopefully some of you all out there, too. Well, thank you so much, sir. This has been amazing. I feel like we could talk all day and learn. Um, I think I'm pretty much inspired that now I just know, need to go get another degree. I don't know, a master's <laughs> or something, but <laughs> I've loved this so much. Thank you. Yes, thank you for everything that you've said today. It's extremely insightful. And like I said, I'm taking a lot of notes. I have a lot of things written down, a lot of books to read as well. <laughs> Well, thank you both. I appreciated your time today. Thank you to all the listeners that went through all this just nerdy drivel and, you know, me me philosophically ranting on things. I appreciate it. 
Um, and if I, again, I, I made a, a alluded to me being the only Chaveso cook on the planet. I, I really am. So if you Google me, that's me. And if you want to have a further conversation, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, just find me and let's, let's continue to grow uh, around mentorship and uh, connect around uh, leading others and leading yourself. And uh, kudos to, to Sarah and Nicole for uh, putting this thing together. I want to see it uh, grow um, in a lot of different ways. We're just planning season today. We'll see what the uh, pumpkin looks like uh, in the future. That's right. And we will link to the Military Mentors website in our show notes. All right, y'all. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.